Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 13. We're going to do a message called Set Apart for Me. It comes from Acts 13 verses 1 through 12. It is a glimpse again into the heart of the church in the book of Acts. What were they doing? What did their worship service look like? And it may confront some of us, and it confronted me this week, because it shows me that the early church's main concern was God. Now that may seem very elementary, and that may seem very basic until we realize as we look at the landscape of the professing church that many times when you come into a church you wonder who is this about and the early church had a clear vision of what worship services were to look like prayer meetings were to look like and they were about God and a ministry that is going to be focused biblically has to be God-centered God-centered music God-centered preaching now you would think that that goes without saying But I have to say it, because in the church culture, we have flipped it around, and now we have man-centered preaching and a man-centered gospel, and we come into the church, see if this is you, and you can share in my conviction, we come into the church doors often like this, I wonder what I'm going to get out of today's message. And actually, that is not the mindset of a Christian. The mindset of a Christian is, maybe I'll get something out of the service that I can apply But I am here to worship and honor my God. As a matter of fact, I am here to minister to Him. This is the language we're going to see this morning. I am here to bless Him. I am here to present myself as an offering to God. Wow. That kind of changes the whole mindset. And it really then diminishes the the, the true temptation of churches, which is this, that we have to please men with how we do things. So maybe it's the cool music or it's the lights or, you know, it's this video or whatever it is. And we're always trying to find this way so that we can keep people happy. But that's not what the church is about. The church is supposed to make people holy. And when God is the center, what you're going to notice in your life, and I think many of you have already discovered this because I know many of you personally, is when that is right, when you are coming and saying, you are my focus, you are my offering, my eyes are on you, the author and perfecter of my faith, then the horizontal relationships fall into line. You become a better spouse. You become a better friend. You become a better boss. You become a a better pastor when you make it about God. And it's easy for us to lose our way in that respect. And sometimes we don't even realize it, but we can get critical and we can say, well, I don't like that or I don't like this or this or that. And all of a sudden it's about us instead of it being about God. And that has to be the focus of our worship is when we walk in this place, He is our focus. He is the center. He is the object of worship. So let's take a moment to pray. Father, as we talk about a message called Set Apart for Me, 
Praise and honor and glory belong to you and you alone. And we praise you that you have set apart the church, this precious group of people, to be your hands and your feet in the world, to be set apart for the gospel. Indeed, they are holy, saints, beloved of God, set apart for the gospel. Each one of them, each of us, thank you that you've made us a body And we want to glorify you, the head, Jesus Christ. And right now, may our focus be on you and you alone. May we look into your word and hear what your spirit says to your church. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've made us part of your family. And we know that you have commissioned us. May you give us clarity on that. If we're lacking it, If some are here and maybe they have walked away or shelved their gifts, I pray that they would get back engaged. And I pray that you would continue to refine calls on people's lives so that they know what to do, what they're to be doing right now. And I just pray that you would guide us through this text. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So would you look with me in your Bible and look at Acts 13 verse 1. Now, there were at Antioch in the church. Now, remember, Antioch had that great awakening. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Large numbers of people were responding to the gospel. So much so, Barnabas, remember, was sent from Jerusalem to try to bring some discipleship and leadership. He had to go get Saul, who became Paul. And they spent a year teaching large numbers, discipling the church. Antioch was a happening place there in Syria. And in the church that was there at Antioch, there were, notice, prophets, Acts 13.1, and teachers. Now these two roles in the church are mentioned in Ephesians 4 and other places. And you might ask the question, I think everybody knows what a teacher is, but let's start there. A teacher or a pastor is to give biblical clarity to a church, but not only give clear biblical guidance to a church, but to challenge the church to apply the Bible. So when a pastor or teacher explains the Word of God, we're not only explaining it to you so that you might get it intellectually, but that you might apply it practically as well. So that's the job of the pastor teacher. It has the idea of shepherding and feeding the flock. And many of the the terms of pastor and shepherd and elder are interchangeable. They have to do with leading the flock, protecting the flock, strengthening the flock by the word of God. And that's one of the main things that was happening here in the church. There were prophets and teachers. Now prophets um, could have two meanings. It could be a prophet in the sense of foretelling. And in the book of Acts, we see this a few times. We see Agabus show up, and he predicts a famine, a very practical uh, prophecy, and kind of warning people to get ready for it. Later in the book of Acts, he'll take the, the belt of Paul the Apostle, and he'll say, the man that wears this belt is going to be chained in Jerusalem, a prophecy of warning to Paul. And then there's another place in the book of Acts where prophets give an encouraging message to the church. 1 Corinthians 14.3, you might want to write this down for your notes, says that prophecy is given for edification, exhortation, and consolation. Now, I don't believe in the church we have prophets foretelling things, but the, another meaning of prophecy is foretelling the word of God, bringing forth what's already there. And in a sense then, these men, because the gifts are not 
these three were prophets, these two were teachers, may have had both gifts. And I believe that when someone is teaching the Bible, they are not only teaching, they are prophesying. Because sometimes when I give forth a message, I'm giving exhortation to you. You're going to get some of that this morning. I'm giving edification. You're going to be built up in your faith and consolation. The Word of God brings us comfort. It also afflicts us when we're too comfortable, if you know what I'm saying. And it can bring uh, uh, consolation to our lives. It does all these things. And so the gift of prophecy, uh, I think its main purpose is foretelling, but I'm not going to put God in a box. And I think God can do whatever he wants to do. And he can speak to people however he wants to speak to them. Now, who were these men that were the prophets and the teachers? There's a list. There's five of them. And it starts with Barnabas. We do know Barnabas was the Levite. He was from the island of Cyprus. He was a very generous man. Remember, he donated a tract of land early in the book of Acts. And we also know he was renamed as the son of, remember, encouragement. He was an encourager. He was the guy that took Saul when people doubted his conversion and said, no, he's legit. He's the real thing. He was the guy that the Jerusalem church sent to Antioch and said, check out what's going on and bring leadership and discipleship to that place. So Barnabas was a very prominent man. And when you see somebody listed first in a list of names, that normally speaks of prominence. So he may have been one of the main leaders in the early church. He was an encourager. He was obviously a teacher or a prophet or both. He was there. There was Simeon. That's a Hebrew name or Simon who was called Niger. Now that word Niger in Latin means black. And so most people believe that it was Simon the black man or the African man. And as a matter of fact, some people, some scholars believe this is Simon of Cyrene. The man who did what? Carried the cross of Jesus. We don't know for sure, but it's at least some speculation that this is who he is. Now notice the third man is Lucius of Cyrene. We know he's from North Africa. He's probably dark-skinned or black as well. Then you have Manaean. He has a Jewish name, but his name means comforter. He had grown up or been brought up in the uh, household or brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is the Herod of the Gospels. He's the one that beheaded John the Baptist. He's the one that was alive when Jesus was crucified. He's the one that Jesus came to in his illegal trial and Herod was so excited to see him. He said, I I just want him to do a trick for me. I've been hearing things about him and Jesus would not even speak to him. The evidence that uh, Herod the Tetrarch, the, literally the leader of a fourth part, he was leader over a province as they split up the different provinces, never got to hear the voice of Jesus. When Jesus was before Herod, he didn't speak a word to him. Never went into the area of Tiberias where he spent a lot of his time, although it was walking distance from Capernaum and other places in Galilee where Jesus could have easily gone. We don't know why he didn't go. But ultimately, Herod was a wayward man he was cheating in his marriages john the baptist confronted him and ultimately the the one thing i remember jesus said about him is he said you go tell that fox the word fox has a feminine meaning it can speak of a vixen some people either think it's referring to his wife who really talked him into beheading john the baptist or that jesus was actually saying that herod was a bit feminine 
So anyway, that's uh, not a real glowing report for you. But this particular guy, Manaean, grew up in that household with Herod the Tetrarch. However, rather than becoming like Herod and going away from God, he became a leader in the early church, though he was chummy, and the language even applies, implies he may have been a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch. And it just goes to show you something. You can grow up in a corrupt, atheistic household with everybody moving away from God, and you can still serve God. You know, we do a lot of studies on background and environment, but ultimately God can deal with all of that, and he can set you on a course where you can be a leader of his people despite your background. That was Manaean. And notice the final guy who's listed here, very prominent man obviously, is Saul. And Saul will become Paul, and he will become the major uh, figure in the rest of the book of Acts as he goes and becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now these five guys are together. We don't know if the whole church is assembled or this is a smaller leadership kind of prayer meeting, but notice what verse 2 says, Acts 13. And while they were ministering, if you have an NIV, it says while they were worshiping, uh, or ESV says the same thing, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now the word ministering there is the Greek word liturgeo, where we get the English word liturgy or liturgical. Some of you have heard of liturgical forms of worship. kind of means a more orderly, structured worship service with readings and that kind of thing. But here, liturgy is an ancient word. The word was actually used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So when the Bible was originally written in the Old Testament, it was in Hebrew, it was translated into Greek in 250 B.C. because the world was being dominated by, by basically Hellenism or, or the Greek ways. So the Bible was translated. And this word in the Old Testament is used in the book of Exodus, namely verse uh, 28, verse 41, and Ezekiel forty-four fifteen, And in both cases, the word is used for the priests ministering to God in the temple. They would come and bring offering. They would come and be the intercessor between the nation and God and God and the nation. They would be the go-between. They would give the offerings. They would light the incense. And this is the word that is used for the early church when they gathered the word for worship means to minister to God. God said in, in the book of Ezekiel, they, the priests, will minister to me. Worship is all about God. And when the early church was gathered, God was their focus. And the writer of Hebrews says, we look to Jesus who is the author and what? perfecter of our faith and there Paul uses a running image like a marathon image and he says rather than looking back at your competitors and taking your eye off the prize fix your eyes on Jesus he's what this is all about and that's what the church was doing the leaders were gathered they were praying they were fasting they were worshiping and they were glorifying God so when we sing songs in church and we are singing you are holy and we are singing in excelsis Deo glory to God in the highest we are doing what we are intended to do we are ministering to God and when we minister to God guess what we become an offering to him 
we offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving what? Thanks to his name. That's what worship is about. And have you noticed something? When you come in with that mindset, when you come in and you want to sing about God's holiness and you want him to be your focus, everything else melts away in the light of his glory and grace. It's awesome. See, I get caught up in that worship. I know that God inhabits the praises of his people. He makes uh, me focus on him and then everything else comes into focus. My problems aren't as big. My relationships with people, I can realize I need to see them through God's eyes. And all of a sudden, my heart starts to change. And that's why I come. I come so that he might mold and shape me more and do his image. Amen? That's what the church is for. That's why it can't be about entertainment. It can't be about 20-minute sermonettes producing Christianettes. It needs to be about a depth where the jewel is turned and you can get a closer look at God and when that jewel is turned, the sparkle is going to hit your life and you're going to shine a little bit more. That's what worship is. Worship is worship. It speaks of the worthiness of the object who is God. He is on display. And when we pray, when we gather for prayer before these services happen. We pray, Lord, I often pray, let people see your glory. Let people say, surely God is in this place. Let them understand who you are a little bit more. That's what the church does. Then we go out into that world and we're a little stronger and a little bit more equipped to deal with all the garbage that we got to deal with. Amen? That's the purpose of the church. Now, they were ministering liturgeo. They were worshiping the Lord, ministering to him, blessing him, and the Holy Spirit spoke. Now, they were also fasting. Now, what is fasting? You don't fast just to fast, by the way. Fasting and prayer go together, or fasting and the word of God. And if you're fasting, if you fast a meal, you might want to replace that meal time with the Bible, because the Bible is your spiritual food, so you give away a meal to get spiritual food, amen? So the idea is, when you're fasting, in the Bible, oftentimes people would fast for important times in the nation. Daniel read the book of Jeremiah. He realized the Babylonian captivity was about to end. He put sackcloth on, ashes, and he began to fast and seek the Lord, and he began to repent for the nation and confess sin because he knew God was going to work again in the nation. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah's fasting and praying because he's going to go to the king and say, I want to rebuild my homeland, my city. I need the favor of God. It's sometimes asking for favor. It's asking for specific guidance. And so they were praying and they were fasting. But why? The church was already doing well. Antioch was on fire. People were coming in droves. People are being discipled. Pray tell, why do you fast and pray for further guidance when it's already happening? Because they had a sense that that's not all that God wanted to do. They had a sense that there was more. And I've said to you before, and I'll say it to you again, if you're waiting for an epiphany, if you're a parked car right now and you think somehow, you know, the revelation's just going to come, I know that when the Lord speaks to me about my calling, it's going to be, And the red uh, hockey light will go off and light will shine right here. You are to do the following. I hope it includes Hawaii and this is okay. And you're waiting. If you're in God's waiting room right now, can I make a recommendation? Don't just sit there. 
do something. Be obedient to what you already know to do. You know, week after week, these guys come up here and they say, we now are going to show you the seventh slide to show you how urgent the urgent need is for the urgent need of ushers. How many times does that slide have to go up before somebody says, you know what, until, oh, I'll usher. That'd be pretty cool. Because then we don't have to put it up there again and annoy you, which I'm sure that some of you get annoyed with the, the slide for the fifth week in a row. Well, we're annoyed too. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> Amen. So as they were <laughs> ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said they're fasting, they're trying to elevate the spiritual, intensify the spiritual by putting down the flesh. Have you noticed, think about it this way, the reason you fast is because the flesh is a distraction. You know? You, you try to pray and know your stomach. Right? It's time for you to eat. And what you have to say to your flesh is, you can say this as a Christian, shut up. <clears throat> is that a Christian phrase? I think so. Jesus said it to the storm, be quiet. Another way to say it is, shut up. That's not a bad phrase, by the way. If you say it to your flesh, it's good. Because you know what you're saying? You are not going to dictate everything that I do today or this week. I'm pushing you down so I can intensify the spiritual things. And man, is it a test when you decide to get spiritual. Amen? Because your flesh goes, what are you doing? You eat at 10.15 every day. Where's my stuff? And that's when you have to say, quiet. I'm elevating the spiritual today, right? I'm going to seek the Lord. I want him to speak to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Would you notice, Bible students, the Holy Spirit said something. I just want to say as kindly as I can to our Jehovah's Witness friends, the Holy Spirit is not simply just God's active force. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He speaks. He calls people into ministry. You remember how we've said in, in the book of Acts study that you could call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Here you go. The Holy Spirit spoke and he said, set apart for me, the Holy Spirit is God, third person of the Holy Trinity, the work, and he, he calls out two people, Barnabas and Saul, to the work to which I have called them. In the body, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts according to his will. And then he places you in the body. And Paul uses the body analogy or metaphor. Christ is the head. And we all are different parts. Some of us are ears. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are the mouth. Some of us are the feet. Some of us are the internal organs that are behind the scenes. Nobody sees them. They're not out front, but they're even more important because without them, guess what? You're dead. And sometimes people behind the scenes think, well, I'm, you know, I'm not that important. I don't preach and teach. No, you are vital to the operation of the body. And all the parts of the body come together to glorify who? The head. You know, when I'm walking, I don't think, I, got, I need to walk now. I, I, I got to walk. Right, left, right, 
Now, maybe if you're in some rehab or something, you may have to think that way. But my brain sends a message and my body just does it. Why? Because my head's in control. That's the way the church is. Each of us have a part to play. Some of us are the hand, whatever. But you get the image. We're all following the orders of the head and it brings him glory because we start going where he wants us to go. And when people come on a Sunday morning, they see all of our various gifts in operation. They hear a message preached, but they also see your smiling face. They see an usher welcome them. A Sunday school teacher ministering to their child. Someone at the donut thing with a smile saying, sorry, we're out of maple bars, but you can have chocolate. Why? Because Pastor Michael took the last maple bar. Anyway, but you get it. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. So Oscar, in Acts chapter 13, um, something interesting occurs, and we see really the setting aside of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is that son of encouragement. Saul will become the famous Paul, the apostle. And they're fasting and praying. And it's interesting, you know, people ask the question, is fasting for today? I would say so. Here, here it is in the book of Acts. Is it required? No. But it, is it something that you may want to do to have a time where you can uh, elevate the spiritual more and push down the flesh? Yes. And here in Acts 13, they're fasting and praying. And then something else interesting happens. The Holy Spirit says, Hmm. Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work to which I have called them. Isn't that interesting? You know, we have our Jehovah's Witness friends who want to deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is simply just God's active force, something that they would compare to electricity, for example. Um, I don't think electricity is saying anything, (laughs) right? But the Holy Spirit says something. He, he actually sets apart two individuals, two major New Testament characters for the work to which he had called them. And we've, we've said that the book of Acts could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? And here, here's a, here's a great verse that says, oh, the Holy Spirit's very active. And by the way, this means that he could speak to you. Uh, he could speak to you personally. Now, we're not talking about adding to the canon. The canon is closed. But, you know, people ask the question, does the Holy Spirit still speak? I think he can. I don't, I'm, I'm concerned that we don't put God in a box here. I know the primary way that he speaks is through the scriptures. However, he sets apart uh, Barnabas and Saul to the work to which he had called them. And so I would just say for our Jehovah's Witness friends or anybody who would deny the personality of the Holy Spirit, the triune nature of God, this is a great example of his personality. And continuing on with that in verse 4, it says that they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Again, it mentions him, the Holy Spirit. And he's not a force, but an actual personage. Now, he does give us power, Oscar. So we could say, well, yeah, um, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us the dunamis of God. Uh, So, you know, we have a famous movie out there. I didn't have to say the name. And that's about the force being with you, whatever that is, you know. <laughs> but the force or the power of God is the gospel in Romans 1.16. And God's power is also manifested through the presence of the Holy Spirit 
in the life of the believer as we are uh, submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And so, um, yeah, him sending out people, I think, is another example of his personality and that he's God.